0: Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane and I'm joined by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. What's
1: up,
2: fellas? Hey, guys. <clears throat> Great to be back. Great
1: to be getting in the word together.
2: What's up, guys? Good to see y'all.
1: Yes. So,
0: this will be coming out of uh, Thursday that the PGA Tour is in Japan and you guys aren't playing. So, I feel like it's a good week for a funny story. Um, Webb, we know a fair amount about your amateur career. Great great amateur career for you, number one in the Wagger. Handled business in college golf. Um, a lot of folks know about Ben's PGA Tour career, five-time PGA Tour winner. I actually think six because he won the first tournament in Malaysia before it was sanctioned, full field, full purse. So I, I say six. Um, but what a lot of people don't know, Ben, is about your college career and especially some of the things you were able to accomplish late in your senior season. It's not
1: talked about as much as – you might think
0: no, it's really not. So <laughs> why,
1: why why don't you why don't you share with us maybe just just pick, like pick, a little window into how it really went down? Yeah, just pick one story. Pick one story from Man, senior year. It's hard to hard to lock in on one, but there are there are a lot. But I would say maybe the best picture of my college career and just when you know I wanted to flip the switch, yeah. you know. In, a, in tournament golf, and, and you need to make birdies. You need to get things done. You need to win a tournament, whatever it is. Uh, I think this best depicts that. Yeah, kind of like
0: killer instinct type
1: deal, X yeah. factor. Yeah. Yeah. So we're playing NCAA's <clears throat> senior year. Uh, we're at Hazeltine. Our team is, is pretty good. We're probably maybe a 30th in the country team you know, rankings weren't as fluent as they are now, but uh, we're, we're a pretty good team. If we put it together, you know, we could probably finish in the top 10. This is a total stroke play event. Two rounds cut, two more rounds, all stroke play. And we're in the mix after round one, need to play a solid round two. And coach comes out to me, we're on the 13th hole. And he says, guys are not playing that well. Um... We're gonna need you to make about four or five birdies in the last seven holes or so to six holes to uh, for press to make the cut. And I just look at Coach Nozzler and I'm just like jump on my back. Like, I'm um, this is what I'm built for. So the first hole in front of me is just it's par three, um, front right pin, basically straight away hole. Um like our all par threes aren't straightaway holes. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the, the, there's a bunker, um, just short right of the green, pins just over that bunker. You know, it's kind of tucked in the front right. It's like maybe 200 yards, maybe playing 215. Um, I'm like, this is just a perfect five iron. I'm just going to start it towards the center of the green, put a little fade on it, and um, just cut it in there. Need to hit it close. I know how this works when you need to make a bunch of birdies. You don't wait for two or three holes. Like, you gotta start now. There's a chance you might live a putt out or something. So, I just unleash this five iron, just, you know, feels just, you know, dead out of the the center coming off. And I look up, and it's a little right of where I'm wanting it to start. And there's, you know, there's a bunker over there, but unfortunately, it's right of that bunker and it's cutting. So, it's not going as planned. And, I'm like, come on, man, like we've got to certainly I got to I got to chip this in or, you know, drop anchor on par. I get up there and there's a tree um, next to my ball. But the problem is that I don't have a swing because the tree is now on the right side of my ball. My ball is about six to eight inches from the trunk of the tree. So I have zero backswing. But I know how I can't afford to make a bogey, so. I know I need to make par. So I decide that I'm going to aim at the tree. There's a little like a knot in the tree where there's not as much bark and it's a little flatter on that side. So I turn and, and I take my lead leg, my left leg, and I put a lot of bend in it, straighten out the right leg. I'm I've now creating a ton of angle because my ball's on hard pan. I know I need to create a ton of angle, hit the ball firmly because I know the tree is going to deaden it slightly as I look up through the tree you know there's some branches there but I really believe that with the launch that after it hits the tree it's going to come back up over my head through the tree and then it's just like a little right to left maybe two cups outside right Um, you know try to either make it or 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 get it close certainly and so I'm kind of like doing the little wind up you know like okay create a ton of angle just reminding myself you know the ball come off the hard pan fairly firm, but it's going to bounce into the tree, and the tree's really going to deaden it. So a little more energy than you think. M- I'm, I'm saying twice as much energy as I think. And so, you know, there's people kind of gathered around. Maybe there's 25 people around, and my coach is like, like, okay, this is, this is what we're doing. And I put a big swing on it. I mean, probably like a 180-yard 7-iron, like a, like a full swing. And got to make sure I get it over the bunker. And, uh, and as I put this big swing on it, you know, I, there's a lot of sound and, and a lot of stuff going on. But the thing that's interesting is I can't breathe. And, and, and I don't know why I can't breathe, and I'm kind of gathering myself, and I'm kind of like, and I fall into my knees because I need a breath of air, and I can't get one. And I look up, and there's a rules official right there. He's kind of squatting down like he's umping, you know, behind home plate, and he throws out the the peace sign. That's two. Because the ball has come up, and it's hit me in the esophagus, in the Adam's <laughs> <out of tackle. laughs> apple. It's dropped down right about where it was. <laughs> and I kind of look at Coach like, um, Coach, I don't think I'm going to birdie the last five out of seven holes for us here. <laughs> I think NCAAs is over. <laughs>
2: He was uh, ready to throw
1: the two count at you, buddy. He just threw it right at me, and I'm like, I'm like, what peace deuces. That's two, and I'm like, thanks, guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I don't
0: know. How about I, a little compassion in yes, this moment?
1: Like, I'm having
2: not a only about not only am I about to make a eight, but we're, our year is over, and I can't breathe. <laughs>
1: exactly. Are you at <laughs> all worried that my Adam's apple is now you know inside of my neck?
0: That uh, is awesome right there <laughs> not a great story man. man oh me oh and there's just nothing there's nothing worse than a marshal or a rules official that's overstepping
2: <laughs> just <laughs> he's just ready to he ready to give it out full squat that that's is true. awesome
0: um okay well that will conclude our banter time for today we'll uh Well, there's no great transition from that into what we're doing this fall, but we'll just do our best. So we are, um, as you know, doing a series this fall called Meet Jesus, going through the Gospel of Luke, looking at who Jesus is. If the most important thing in the world, according to the Bible, is to know God, to have a relationship with Him, and if He's revealed Himself through Jesus Christ in real human history, then perhaps the most important thing we can do is get to know the Lord through His Word. Uh, What we see in the Word is really what He's like, and it's really what He's like toward us. The Lord is the same yesterday and today and forever, and so what we see in these passages is what we can expect of Him. And last week, we saw Jesus go to work in a wonderful way, three different people. He heals this unnamed woman who has a chronic condition Uh, He does it by delaying a very important man, and then he raises that man's little girl to life, and he does it all to put himself on display and to give those people what they needed most, which was himself. And so today we're going to jump forward a little bit in the Gospel of Luke to Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27, to what's really a huge moment in each of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, Peter's confession of who Jesus is. And I think we're going to see... Um, this passage, more than the others, is starting to move us somewhere. It's starting to demand something of us. But as we always do, we need help to understand the Word. So, Ben, will you pray for our
1: our time in the Word? Absolutely. Lord God, uh, thank you um, that you, Jesus, illuminate um, God what you are like. And so that we can know you, you've given us your Word, um, so that as we look into it, you supernaturally change us, and, um, and Lord, thank you that you have offered this to us, and who we say that you are um, is really the most important thing in our life. So, Lord, um, help us look steadily into your Word, enjoy mm-hmm. it, um, and see it for what it is today. In Christ's name, mm-hmm. amen.
2: Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks, buddy.
0: Weber, you want to read for
1: us? All
2: right, Luke nine eighteen through 27. <clears throat> now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Thanks, buddy.
0: So we're skipping ahead a little bit from where we were last week. In the first part of Luke 9, Jesus had miraculously fed 5,000 people with just a couple fish and a few loaves of bread. And now we find him in chapter 9, verse 18. And what's he doing? He's praying alone. He's praying alone. It's kind of what you were getting at last week, Webb. Once you've done something, you kind of want to get that alone time. So after this big, huge ministry event um, that deals with lots and lots of people, Jesus takes His disciples, and He goes to pray. And interestingly, He goes up to a place the other Gospels tell us called Caesarea Philippi, all the way up north, a an area that was a strictly Roman area known for all kinds of sinful activity. And he went up there because he knows no Jews are going to go up there. So it's a place that he can get alone. It's a place that he can pray. It's a place that he can talk to his disciples. And after they finished praying, what does Jesus ask his boys? Who do the crowds say that I am? Who do the crowds say that I am? Yep. So quick aside, as you're reading through the gospels, Always cool to notice how good of a question asker Jesus is. He's he's a genius. He knew how to rightly use language to direct the conversation where it needed to go. So he asks his boys, who, who do the crowds say that I am? What are the masses saying about my identity? And how do his disciples
1: answer that question? They say you're either John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets has risen from the dead.
0: Okay. So I, I think to us at first reading this seems kind of crazy. Like if somebody said, All right, who is you know, who is Webb? I was like, Well, he could be he could be Patrick Cantley or some people say Xander Shoffley, you know. Hmm. It, it this question doesn't make a lot of sense to us in twenty twenty two. But what we've got to remember is these guys had no T V, they had no social media, they've got only word of mouth scattering about
1: mm, you know
0: yeah. a a big area and so they know that this guy John the Baptist is doing all kinds of interesting things he's got a thriving ministry out in the wilderness uh, they know that the last thing in their Old Testament was the promise that Elijah might come back um, some other people think man nobody could do this unless he's one of these prophets kind of come back to life so you know some of this stuff is superstitious but some of their what the crowds thought actually made a little sense when you consider their context. Um, obviously none of them are right, but after Jesus asks his disciples, what the crowd say, then what does he do in verse 20?
2: He asks them, who do you say that I am? Asks his disciples that.
0: Yeah. So this is, this is a huge moment in the gospels. It's Mm -hmm. like he turns the attention from their peripheral vision. And he says, listen, I know everybody's talking about this. I, I know this is the biggest news in Israel. I want you to hit pause on what everybody else thinks for a minute. And he zooms in on them and he makes eye contact with them and he says, Who do you say that I am? What do you think about me? Mm-hmm. Um, and when he asks that point blank question, which at some point we've all got to answer, who steps up?
1: Peter steps up. Our boy. <laughs> Zealous Peter. <laughs> yeah. You gotta
0: love his his boldness. He swings hard. He wins big sometimes. He sends hard
2: sometimes. Um, if Peter was a golfer, he'd have won a lot and missed a lot of cuts. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> He's the Brooks Capco of the tour. Oh, yeah. Or, or DeChambeau. He's just sending yeah. it on every hole. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's right. Um, so
1: and 18 drivers and chipping back on the par threes. <laughs> 100%. Those straightforward par threes. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs>
1: Uh, if you're in golf course
0: design, please do not make a dog leg left par three. <laughs> <laughs> Gil Hans, if you're out there, just listen to us, man. I'm so glad I just <laughs> clarified
1: that this morning for you yeah, guys. That was helpful, man. Yeah. Uh,
0: <clears throat> so Jesus asked these guys, who do you say that I am? Very straightforward moment, very candid moment. Peter steps up, and what does he say? The Christ of God the Christ of God. And either of you guys know what he said the other gospels record. You no. are, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So he goes mm. even a, a step forward or a step further in the other gospel records. So we hear this term Christ a lot. What is when you read Christ in your Bible, what should come to mind? What what who is the Christ? What does that term mean?
2: The Messiah. Yeah. The promised one.
0: The promised one. Yeah. So um, Christ is just the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed one. Okay. And so this term was used sometimes for Old Testament kings, the Lord's anointed, but it came to encompass this expectation that the Jewish people had for one who would deliver them and rescue them and rule over them and lead them and care for them. This, um, it, it was kind of an all encompassing term for, this promised one that would come from Abraham's family, he'd come from David's family, and he would take care of the people of God and deliver the people of God. And there was
1: huge
0: expectations in first century, century Israel around a coming Messiah. So when Peter steps forward and answers this question, who do you say that I am? He says, you're not John the Baptist, you're not Elijah, you're not one of the prophets, you're different, you're the Christ Christ. And in mm-hmm. other Gospels, you are the son of the living God. You're the mm-hmm. one God promised would come from David's family, the son he promised who would lead his people and rule over his people. You're that guy. You're the mm-hmm. fulfillment of our Old Testament hope. So it's a huge confession. Um, and and we see here, too, that like in the other Gospels, when Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, he's speaking even better than he knows because... Jesus is not just a son that's going to come from David, like 2 Samuel 7 promises to be the king of God's people. He's, he's God the Son. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is altogether different. And in the rest of our Bible, just it makes that increasingly clear. I think it's what we're seeing in the series. So we want to let this reality soak in. Jesus of Nazareth, this real man in real human history, is God the Son, he is the fullness of God in human form. That's who he is. He really came into human history. He really entered our existence. He fully God, fully man. He lived among us. And Peter, who walked alongside him for three years, got to see it, and he confessed it. It's a huge moment in the Gospels for somebody to come out and say, this is who you are. Okay. But what's almost equally shocking to that, if we really get in the shoes of Jesus' disciples is what Jesus says next, how Jesus responds to this confession.
1: So Mm. how does Jesus respond to this confession of his identity? He starts telling him, don't say anything. Don't tell anyone um, that this is the case.
0: Yes. And so does he deny it? No. No. What does he do? He just says, conceal it. Yeah. He owns it. And then Mm -hmm. he says, conceal it, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Don't go telling everybody. Okay. Mm. And why does he tell
1: them? To conceal it. What's got to happen? Well, in 22, it says the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the chief elders and the scribes um, and be killed and raised.
2: Okay. He's got his eyes set
1: on Calvary.
0: Okay. We, we know on this side of Calvary, right, um, what had to happen to accomplish our salvation. But we, we got into this a little bit uh, last week why Jesus told people to sometimes not share anything or to be quiet. What are these guys thinking when Peter says, you're the Christ, Jesus owns the fact that he is the Christ. What do they think he's going to go do before Jesus tells them what's going to happen? Like, what are they expecting
2: of this Messiah? He's going to rule over their people. He's going to rescue them from uh, bondage, and he's going to be this kind of almighty earthly king for them, for his people.
1: Really, they want to escape Roman oppression, right? I think primarily that's what they're looking for.
0: They, they want a pr- political, military, deliverer, ruler. They want to have their best life now.
1: And they want to stick it back to the guys who have been sticking it to them, right? And so right. They're, they're looking, waiting, anxiously, hoping that, okay, Jesus, now we know you're the guy. Now deliver what it is mm-hmm. we want you to do.
0: Yep. And interestingly, and in the, the other Gospels record this, but when Jesus says... All right, listen, I am the Christ, but the Son of Man, that's a, another Old Testament term, Daniel seven fourteen and 15, if you want to do some more study there, it's really neat. The Son of Man must suffer and die and be raised. Y'all remember how Peter responds in the other Gospels when Jesus says this? Is that when he
2: jumps in the way and says he's going to protect him? He rebukes him, yeah. yeah he rebukes him. You know, it's like, no, Lord, you're not going
0: to do that. It's when the Lord says to Peter, Get behind me. Get behind me, Satan. You're mm. you're you're thinking about the things of man, not mm. the things of God, right? Mm. And so Peter's reaction shows us how everyone else would have been thinking, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like people didn't think the Messiah needs to come and die for people. He needs to mm-hmm. he needs to set us free, you know? Right. But Jesus knows he's come to solve a much bigger problem than political mm. oppression. Mm. We've got a much bigger enemy. We've got sin mm. to deal with, we've got death to deal with, we've got Satan to deal with. And so as the Messiah, Jesus was coming to solve our biggest problems. Mm-hmm. And he puts that reality on display right here. So um, it's just quite an encounter. Um, and after Jesus tells these guys what's going to go down, he is the Christ, but he's going to be the Christ who dies and then who rises. Um, Then he moves into this time of instruction. And what does he tell his disciples in verse 23?
1: If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me.
0: Okay, super important verse right here. It's a verse that really, for the first time in this study, is calling us to something. To really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, like Peter confessed, To do that means to receive him both as Savior and as Lord. It means that we receive all that he's done for us in his death and resurrection, where he paid for our sins and rose again to conquer death. But this verse shows us that to follow him means also to make him Lord of our life, to pledge allegiance to him, to hitch our wagon to his, to come after him, right? Um, And we see this in his instructions. If If we come after him, the first thing he tells us to do is what?
1: Deny ourselves. Deny
0: ourselves. Okay. Before we talk about this means, let's just let's engage with it. When
2: you hear
1: that, what do you think? Doesn't sound pleasant. Um, you don't get to do what you want to do.
2: Yeah. I I must be left to myself. I must be bad, or I must um, I must not come always with great motives. Okay. Yeah, totally.
0: What's the world telling us right now about self-denial? What would the world say to this? Our culture.
2: Oh, the the opposite. Give it full vent. Yeah. yeah. The 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 world says be true to yourself. Doesn't it? Follow your heart. Yes.
0: The world tells us the exact opposite of this. Indulge yourself. Yeah. Be authentic. Do what yeah. you feel. Be who you are. Um Guys, Jesus, this is just one of very many offensive things Jesus says. Um, he tells us if we're going to come after him, we've got to deny ourselves. What do you think he mm-hmm. means by that? Or let's start with what does he not mean?
1: He doesn't mean that this is going to be bad for you. Okay, good. Mm-hmm.
0: What Does he mean that, Webb, if you like um, an afternoon coffee, ah, can't have that anymore?
2: No. Doesn't mean that. Uh, no, it doesn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Thank God for you. It doesn't mean that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we were told we're given all kinds of gifts to enjoy, right? The New Testament is clear that God is a generous God, an abundant God, an extravagant God who gives us all kinds of good gifts for our good, for our enjoyment, to be enjoyed right. and to be shared. What do you think it does mean when he says, if you're going to come after me, deny yourself?
2: I think he means that we're going to, Live our life for something else other than ourselves. There's something greater to live our lives for. It's worth. It's worth more than living for ourselves.
1: Good. What do you think, Ben? Any thoughts? I think of Ephesians two one to three. You know, when we follow the prince of the power of the air and the passions, you know, and desires of our body, you know, we end up in death. We end up, um, you know, doing what is absolutely worst for us
0: hmm. Yeah,
1: I, th- I think I think you're on top of it
0: where the Lord has clearly spoken, where he has revealed his will and his word. And, and just a reminder to the reader, his word is perfect.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's all breathed out by God. Every word of God proves true. It's accurate down to its smallest mark where the Lord has revealed his will and his word, where our desires don't line up with that. From now on, our call is to deny ourselves and to side with him. Mm-hmm. to join him in what he says. And if I fail to repent and to receive his forgiveness and then to come back and to pursue following his will again. So it doesn't mean we deny everything we like. It means where our desires conflict with his desires, where his, with his revealed will from now on, we're siding with him. From now on, we're with Jesus. Mm-hmm. So he says, if you're going to come after me, first, deny yourself. Second, what does he say?
1: Take up your cross daily mm-hmm. and follow me.
0: Okay. Um, what What do we think this means? First, put put your shoes in the the you know the sandals of the original
1: audience. What does this mean to them? Well, first mm. of all, the cross is a was the worst form of punishment that the Romans could invent, where you basically, you know, um, suffocated to death in front of everyone you knew. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean. Taking up your cross, um, you know, is they're, they're, going, they're looking at the Roman way of execution. They're going, that's an unpleasant thing.
0: Totally. Uh, I know we, you know, drive around Brentwood or Charlotte and see a lot of pretty crosses around necks or hanging from steeples or whatever. But the cross is like a, you know, the modern-day equivalent would be like an electric chair. Mm-hmm. It's not a glamorous thing. It's a torture, mm-hmm. torture device. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, Not only you got to deny yourself, but I want you to take up your cross daily. What do you think the point that he's making is?
2: I think the point he's making is, number one, I love that word daily because every day we start afresh, and every day we got to focus on Jesus and trust in what he's promised us and trust in that he's good. Um, But I think taking your cross up, what he means by that is um, – We have to deny ourselves daily, right? We have to give ourselves daily. Um, and, and it's hard, right? Like going to the cross, I can't imagine what that would have been like. And, and it's hard. It's hard to deny ourselves because naturally every morning we wake up, we focus on ourselves and we want to please ourselves. But we have to realize, okay, Jesus asks us to take up our cross daily. Um, that means giving all those selfish desires to him um, and following him.
1: Yeah, the um, Galatians two twenty. I've been crucified on the cross with Christ, so that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body is through faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. You know, it's like we're we're agreeing that we are sinful, um, that we have to crucify our old lives, and uh, like you said, align with what He says is good. Um, which it's we're not bent that way, and so. It's a very difficult thing to do. This is the most difficult of um, callings that he's making here.
0: Totally. And I think he's saying to do what you guys have just said, do that even when it costs you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even when it, it, you know, it's going to cost you internally at certain times, right? Obviously, because you're going to do, you know, not do things you want to do or or do things you don't want to do. But to take up your cross following Jesus also is going to cost you externally right? You're going to, it's going to, to be in with Jesus is going to bring opposition from the world. It's just a real part of being a Christian. It's becoming a realer part in America of being a Christian. Really, there hasn't been a ton of cost for a lot of people for a long time in America following Jesus. But now this is getting a little bit more real. You know, there is reputations at stake and there's hardship to be had if you identify with Jesus. And I think one of the things Jesus means when he says, hey, take up your cross every day, He's saying, hey, go all in with me, even when it costs you.
1: And, uh, you know, personally, have you guys ever been faithful and obedient, especially in difficult times, and ever lived to regret it?
2: Never. I, mean in, I fact, mean,
1: in fact, some of the most difficult times of obedience are some of the greatest blessings.
2: That's right. I mean, often often in the Bible, and oftentimes Jesus, when he calls us to something, it seems backwards, but it's always worth it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems deny yourself seems like, oh, that's not going to be fun. Well, actually I get the most joy when my day is spent denying myself. And like you guys are saying, my desires are aligning with God's desires. That's when I actually have most joy, Mm. right? Like, yeah, selfishly on a Saturday, I want to veg out and watch football all day by by myself, but I'm going to get way more joy out of kicking the soccer ball in in the backyard with my kids um, unloading the dishwasher for my wife. Like those things are actually what in the end brings me joy, not just giving into all my desires. Hey, how bad are you kick- at kicking left footed? <laughs> the worst.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> denying yourself when you really start working on your left foot.
2: Oh in the
0: gosh. Backyard with <laughs> Dude, One of the things that helps me so much too, with this deny yourself, take up your cross daily is to remember two things. Number one, when I indulge myself, How does it normally work out for me?
1: Mm -hmm. I just feel icky, dirty. Yeah, I mean, you think it's going to deliver, and it just never delivers. To you know, watch a TV show, whatever. Instead of you know, when you could be, like you said, serving your wife or engaging with your kids.
0: Yeah, yeah. I tell my girls all the time, it's like eating chocolate covered dog poop. Yeah.
1: At first, you're like, this is it.
0: This is yummy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, then and then you
0: then, get a little deeper. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like trying to get that out of your mouth as fast as you can. So I think remembering when I indulge myself, how does it really go for me? Well, over time, it usually just leads to more brokenness. It's mm-hmm. my experience. Mm-hmm. And then two, when I remember, all right, who is the one offering this command?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I remember, oh, this is the one who... You know, trades places with the leper. This is the one who solves the paralytic's biggest problem. This is the one who calls, you know, fools like Levi and like us. This is the one who is so kind and loving, who lays down his life for us. If he's willing to die for us, surely he knows what's best for us. Mm, This is, God is not a cosmic killjoy, wanting to take us away from everything that's going to bring us pleasure. We're actually so blinded by our sin. We think that what's going to bring us pleasure is going to deliver, and it doesn't. He's saying, I'm actually going to show you the way to real life. Hmm. It's found in following me.
2: He always calls us to something greater. Always. Yeah. And I've said this, I think, on this podcast before. Piper said, God is not a killjoy, but he wants to kill the things that will kill our joy. And I, that's been my experience 100% of the time.
0: Hmm.
2: Same. Same. So if anyone will come after me, he tells his boys,
0: let him deny himself and let him take up his cross daily and follow me. And when he says follow me, certainly for these guys, there's a real literal aspect to that. They're to go where he goes and do what he does. But there's, this offer is still for us. We are to do what God calls us to do, to love what God loves, to hate what God hates, to pursue what God pursues, to allow Jesus to be Lord of our life. And I think that's what he's, he's inviting us in on. And so this call to, to discipleship is for everybody. Um, and and he wants us to acknowledge the cost of it. I think we always run a risk. You know, the three of us, we love the gospel of God's grace. We love that God forgives sinners. And I think it's sometimes easy just to view the gospel as like a box that I check one time in my life and then totally move on. Um and certainly the gospel is free, but it, it comes with a cost, a very real cost. And in verse 24, Jesus starts to kind of lay out the cost of following him. And so how does he begin verse 24? What's the warning? Whoever
2: would save his life is going to lose it. Okay, what does he mean when he says that? I think what he means is whoever's going to try to live their best life now um, Sure, go ahead and do that, but you're risking an eternity apart from him.
0: Would you add anything
1: to you know, that? I, mean, I think it, that's exactly right. That's exactly it.
0: Yeah. And he, let, let's just skip the sweet promise in, in the end of verse 24 because we're going to land with that. But he he builds out this idea of the point that you just made, Webb, in verse 25. And what's he, what's he saying in verse 25?
2: For what is a profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself?
0: Okay, so one of y'all, Ben, put that into 2022 layman's terms.
1: Yeah, I mean, what good is it if you gain the world, but at the end of the day, you lose what God has for you, which is the blessings here in this world and the blessings of eternity being with God? Totally. You you can
0: make as much money as you want, win as many golf tournaments as you want, whatever the win is for any of us, Right. If you gain all that, but at the cost of your soul.
1: What does it mean? Nothing. Less than nothing. Right. Like they always
2: said, there's no U-Hauls at at the the grave site. (laughs) Totally.
0: Okay, and then after verse 25, Jesus explains why it profits us nothing to gain the world and lose our soul. And what's he say in verse 26?
2: For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels.
0: Okay, so what's the crazy claim that Jesus is making, right? I mean, remember, he's talking to his boys, looking at him. And what does he say he's going to do one day?
1: Man, when he, he's going to say, I'm going to come into glory, the glory of the Father and of the holy angels.
0: Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to die and I'm going to rise and I'm coming back. And I'm Mm -hmm. coming back with glory, Mm. right? And he came the first time as a Savior, but he's coming back as a judge. And -hmm. when he comes back as a judge, and and just for the listener, something you need to know, Christianity is weird. I mean, this is weird. (laughs) We believe that God became a person, that he died for people, rose again from the dead, and then he's going to return as judge of the whole world. And all of our eternities are going to hinge on what we did with him. That, I mean, that is, you got to embrace the strangeness of it all if you're really going to be a Christian.
1: Like verse 20, but who do you say that I am? When he asks the disciples, he asks that. And what we do with that is everything.
0: Totally. It all hinges mm-hmm. there.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: he says he's coming back. And if we live for ourselves now, what is going to be the result, first part of 26, when he comes back? He's going to be ashamed of us. Man. I mean, think about, think about that reality. One day there's going to be one opinion that matters. Only mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Can
1: can you imagine standing before the God of the universe and you see that it's all, all true? The whole, the mm-hmm. Word, Himself, everything He predicted, it's all true, and you're standing before Him, and yet you sin it your whole life, and you just followed your own desires. I can't imagine what it would be like to put your head down and be separated from the mm. One who is entirely good.
2: Mm. Whether you believe or not, we're all going to meet him one day. Yeah. Yeah. It is a huge, huge claim.
1: On the contrary, the believer gets the well-done, good, and faithful servant, you know. That's right. And all that I have is yours. Yeah. That's right.
0: And let's, let's use that idea to transition now back to the second part of verse 24. Because he says, hey, listen, surely it does cost you to come after me. you got to deny yourself. you got to take up your cross. you got to follow me. It's going to cost you some things in this life. But what, what promise, what benefit does it come with in the second part of 24?
2: Mm. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If you live your life for Jesus, for his purposes, you're going to save your life. Yeah. You're going to have eternity with him.
1: And there's so much wrapped up in that word. Life. You're gonna you're gonna have life, right? The John ten ten, right? The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. So we mm-hmm. see that these warnings are really for our life and for our good.
2: Yes. Hundred percent.
0: Dude it, and so certainly this means the eternal life that Christ has come to offer, which is I mean guys, we're here for a blip. Our life is a vapor, right? Eternity mm-hmm. is at stake. It, mm-hmm paradise with the Lord Jesus Christ, mm. new heaven, new earth. He's offering all that. But I just want to haunt out to you guys. Like, how have you found your life now in following mm. Jesus? Mm. Because to me, it's like the difference between trying to save your life. It's like chipping into the grain on a wet day. It's right. just like <laughs> <Right>. muddy ground. <laughs> yeah. The club's going to stick. Yeah. You know, sometimes <laughs> you can maybe make it work a little bit, but it's just not that easy. But, like, doing things God's way, according to Mm. God's order, it's like being teed up on Georgia or chipping down grain. You know, it just works. So, how have you guys found your life in following Jesus?
2: First thing I think about is purpose, this idea of purpose. I think everyone's looking for purpose. And I think following Christ gives purpose, not just what is my job going to look like, but it gives me purpose in everything. There's uh, a purpose in marriage, the way I love my wife. There's a purpose in the way I father my kids. There's a purpose in the way I work at my craft, right? I'm not working to make much of Webb Simpson. I'm, I'm working to take care of the gift that God gave me. So there's purpose in that. Um, and there's purpose in relationships. I want to have friendships where we can be like-minded and uh, discuss the things of the Lord. I want to have relationships where we're not like-minded and I can share this good news of Jesus with friends. Um, and so it First thing I think of, it just gives me purpose in all areas of my life.
1: And for me, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, for it is better. Jesus says it's better to serve than be served. And mm-hmm. I really find that to be true so often. And when I serve others or, or when I serve my wife, um, when I get to, you know, spend sweet time with my family and engage with them, like, I get filled up with joy. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like when, when I'm doing what God's called me to do and what he says is right. And when I hitch my wagon to his, I literally get this like supernatural joy that like rises up within me. And it's not from me, but it's from the limited obedience that I have.
0: It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. good. Yes. So
1: the Lord has
0: this whole thing rigged for our good. Right, Mm -hmm. He came for our good. He died for our good. He rose for our good. He gives us commands for our good. And we actually start to find our life as we follow Mm -hmm. Him. And then He closes out the passage by making this very interesting statement. What's verse 27 say?
2: But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Any idea what He's saying there? Because it
0: almost seems like, well, how, you know, these guys all died before they saw the kingdom of God come in its fullness.
1: Is this... Um, a nod to the next few verses, the Transfiguration?
2: I mean, let's go, Ben Crane. (laughs) (laughs) That's all Ben.
0: Let's go, baby!
2: I'm glad Ben spoke first, (laughs) because if you looked at me, I was going to say, no, I have no idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very very next verse, Jesus is going to take Peter, James, and John, um, some standing here, right, from verse 27. He's going to show them who He really is in His glory. So, uh, And that's what we'll get to look at next time. Final thought, this this passage has implications for us. So what can we take away from this passage? Let's let's kind of go with two things. One, what do we do with his death? What do we need how do we need to respond to that to his death and resurrection? And then two, how do we need to respond to this kind of call to discipleship?
2: Mm. Well, I think, you know, the apostle Paul tells us basically that if he didn't rise from the dead, then our faith would be in vain everything hinges on the resurrection did he rise from the dead did he defeat death and he did he appeared to so many people after he died and so i think like you always say william this is not a story we read in a book this is human history he really did die on a cross he really did rise from the dead to fulfill everything that had that had been written about him and everything that he had said so it is true and he's worthy to be followed
0: yes Totally. And, and for, if, if you like are brand new to this listening, what you do is you look at what Christ has really done on the cross in real human history. And like Ben said, you believe that what he did, he did for you. He was mm-hmm. not just generically paying for sins. He was paying for your sins. And when you believe that he did that for you, God says, you get in on this life that he's promised. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wants you to count the cost. And maybe let's kind of start to land the plane here. We've already tried to land twice, but we've circled. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, How do you guys respond, and how would you kind of maybe instruct people to respond to this call? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and
1: take up his cross and follow me. This is going to be so difficult to, you know, to obedience, and there are times when we're not going to obey, we need to repent. But Jesus is so clear that this is not the easy button. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is not the easy way of life. Um, you're not promised that you're not going to suffer. You're not promised that a child's not going to die. You're not promised that you won't get sick. Th- these are not the promises. He's, he's saying, in fact, life will be so challenging, but he's saying it's worth it. And I'll mm-hmm. not only give you the best life uh, to enjoy in being with me now because you'll get more of me, but you'll also get me for eternity. So Mm -hmm. um, there is a huge cost, but the benefit far outweighs um, the cost.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think there's just a reality that at some point in every life, Jesus makes eye contact with us, and he asks us this question, who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. And how we respond to that, everything hinges on it. So, um, And just to encourage you, to not decide is to decide. You know, at some point you got to either go all in with the Lord or you got to reject him. And I think our just loving plea and encouragement would be we found our life and following him. So Weber, why don't we go last word to you?
2: Yeah. And, you know, if if this is your first time listening or last couple of weeks, I would encourage y'all to listen to the pilot episode because William, Ben and I all have specific life experiences and stories about how we try to save our life. We try to go after the world. And we were left empty. And as soon as we started surrendering our life to the Lord, as soon as we started obeying Him and following Him, we actually found joy and found life that we were looking for in dancing with J-Lo on the dance floor or winning golf tournaments or um, you name it. I mean, we tried everything to fulfill our life, and it left us empty.
0: J-Lo's probably never forgotten that moment. (laughs) I was within about six feet of her. (laughs) Well, thank you for listening to the Bible Caddy Podcast. Uh, If you've ever got questions about Jesus, we would love to do our best to engage with you. You can email us at BibleCaddy at gmail.com. We will be back next week uh, with the very next passage starting in Luke 9, 28. And until then, let's get into the Bible and let the Bible get into us.